This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi everyone, welcome to the Every Step Along The Way podcast and welcome to a very special edition of the podcast involving the world of transfers and football agents. We'll be hearing directly from Gary Meller of Beswick Sports and we'll be talking about a number of different topics including a very funny moment involving a gift and Noel Williams transfer, how a couple of very big names nearly pulled on the red and white shirt as well as a hell of a lot more. I hope you enjoy this just as much as we did. Okay, and I couldn't think of anyone better to give us the lowdown on being an agent than uh, a good friend, uh, Gary Mallet of Beswick Sports. Um, Gary, how are you, mate? You okay? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, yeah, good, mate. All good. How was Christmas and New Year? Uh, not very well. I think the fact we were all a bit, we were all a bit poorly in the house. It wasn't great. We had this bug that was going round, which seems to have uh, got hold of quite a few different people. So not the usual Christmas and New Year. I managed to get to the couple of Stoke games, the Burnley and Preston games. Um, probably Is that why we lost? Yeah, <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah. Disappointed, to say the least, but um, hopefully better times ahead. Yeah, hopefully so, mate. I mean, it's it's um, it's been a challenging, well, it's been a challenging five or six years, let's be honest, hasn't it? It has. Um, it has. Yeah, um, and obviously I know we spoke before, Gary, but just I was thinking earlier on, you know, how can I best possibly introduce you? And the fact is, I probably could do as good a job as, as you possibly can. So, um, would you mind just trying to give everyone a bit of an overview, you know, what your background is and, and bits like that, if that's okay? And obviously, who you support would be great. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I obviously uh, went to work at a local law firm, Beswick, that um, was lucky enough to represent some of the um, the, the local. Football players like they looked after Stanley Matthews and um, senior part looked after uh, Danny Smith. You know, you know another. And, and I suppose that I I had a, a love for sport. Uh, I was lucky enough to play local football, local cricket. Know quite a few people. Grew up in an era when a lot of players from this city made it to the professional game, like your Adrian Heath, your Lee Chapman's, Mark Chamberlain, Mark Bright, Mark. You know, the the, the list just goes on and on, really. So I think that's it, there were good times, and also people that played in the local cricket leagues, North South and South Cheshire cricket league, like uh, Alan Richardson and Dean Hadley and Dominic Cork, who went on to play international cricket. We we had a a rich vein of local talent um, that I was lucky enough to to be around, and it gives you a passion for the game. Yeah. And uh, through what Beswick's were doing, I did uh, I I, I um, got involved with some bits of sports law. And uh, and then over twenty odd years ago, I was asked to help a, uh, 
a footballer get out of a contract with his agent because he felt like <laughs> it was done. And I ended up doing his deal to Nottingham Forest, and it was the first deal I did. And um, and then I'd like to say it was it was by design, but it was more of an accident. Got involved in the agency world, and then 20 years ago we started Beswick Sports. So we had the law firm and the sports management company. And a lot of the work we do is consulting football clubs and, and helping players. And we've done Will Goodwin from Stoke to Cheltenham Town today, which we're proud of. Ended up knowing his dad and playing with his dad. And uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's nice to see people that have grown up with sons making a success or hopefully a success out of their, out of their career. I was going to say, we saw the Will Goodwin one. I saw that Will had just put a post out and um, copied in Beswick Sports as well. I was going to ask you whether that's one that you physically did or what, what the team did, but yeah, yeah it's yeah, a, it's an I, interesting move for him. Yeah, I was in Brazil working in November and his dad reached out to me because he knew, I think his dad played for Leap Town up front with Mark Bright, if I remember if serves you right, and asked if he could have some help. Um, he was on loan at Torquay and, you know, felt like they wanted to play league football. And uh, Wade Elliott is a client of mine. Wade Elliott was, was now the manager of Cheltenham. I did look after, well, I do look after Michael Duff, who I took to Barnsley and took Martin Patterson and his assistant to another client. And then we managed to get Wade Elliott in as replacement for Michael at Cheltenham. <laughs> Wade knows a bit about Will because he worked with Stoke for 21s. And um, we think he's the right place for the next stage of his career. And obviously he's moving up a couple of divisions. Hopefully he'll get lots of minutes and, you know, and if he has half as good a career as Wade Elliott, then, uh, then it's good for everyone. And I like to see local players do well. It was nice to see a couple more make the debuts yesterday. That's hard Absolutely. Before. And, uh, you know, I always want to see local sports people do well and see if we can help them in any way we can. Yeah, I think there's I think there's a lot of Stoke fans probably hoping that Will was going to probably break through with us, um, I think, ideally. And maybe that path wasn't there for him or, or more than anything. Maybe it wasn't here now for him. And he, he obviously can't hang around forever, I guess, with Will. Is that pretty much what it is? He just, he just can't hang around forever. I think that, um, I mean, the players that we've had locally, the Carl Dickinsons, the Andy Wilkinsons, uh, Jack Butler that we bought in from Birmingham City. Um, you know, we've always looked to get people out on loan. We think that, um, I remember growing up in a time when we played like Lee Chapman, Steve Bowles went on loan to clubs like Torquay and uh, they came back better players and better prepared to play first team football for Stoke City. And I think there's nothing more important than um, when you're developing these players. I mean, for people like Kerry Russell and Dave Hibbets, you know, they do a fantastic job and Gareth Owen with the academy. But, you know, sometimes they're playing with the tw- t- their 21 teams most of their best players would be out playing football if it was the because that's better for their development. Sure. But occasionally, you know, if you if you reach blocks the first team, then uh, especially in the last few years when there've been so many players coming and going, you know, you've got to you've got to make your move and and sometimes go backwards to go forwards. Yeah, hopefully so. But like I say, maybe we'll see Will back uh, in some capacity in the future. You never know. Absolutely. It's a small world. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and like I said, Gary, I, mean, I must admit, we could keep you here for hours and we're not going to do that. We're going to try our best to stick to the hour. But um, I mean, like I say, taking you kind of forward really in terms of, you know, I was looking at your, your background and the list of clients that you have. So I know obviously you do a lot of work here in the UK, but um, yeah. you seem to have a lot of clients over in the US, especially uh, now. Yeah. So how how difficult is it to manage players both in the UK and abroad? But I appreciate you probably travelling back and forward. So is it quite difficult managing those relationships and you know transfer windows? And it, it seems like it's a lot to take on. 
It is, and well, you know, I mean, I think we um, again the American situation came about by Phil Rawlings, who's a friend of mine. He was a director at Stoke when he sold his business, put some money into the academy. Um, he started a team in Austin, Texas. I took a good friend of mine, Agent Heath across uh, from Stoke, who um, to manage the Austin team. Then we moved the team to Orlando, a very un English thing to do. Uh, we got Orlando to MLS. We opened up 62,500 people. And having worked on that, I think since 2005, I uh, got to learn a lot about the American market. So we've taken, as I've mentioned before, people like James O'Connor, Anthony Pulis, Louis Neal, lots of people that'll be well known to Stoke fans across there. Martin Patterson went, pl played, and has coached to into Miami, where Ryan Shawcross also ended up. And then, you know, they, they, the majority of them really enjoyed the time there. And it gives them an opportunity at the end of their careers, probably to get into the coaching ranks a little bit quicker. Um, and then as a result of getting to know and being on the board of Orlando City and, and, a, and an owner for a period of time, you know, I've seen a bit differently by the MLS ownerships and groups. So we've done players like Louis Morgan from Celtic to into Miami, now at New York Red Bull, who's been a, a, a revelation. Jack Price, Wolves to, Wolves to Colorado, where he's been MVP and the last number of years, broke Beckham's assist record. Uh, and Tom Wokes, Tottenham Hotspur to Atlanta, then Charlotte. So we've done, done quite a few deals. Of course, we've done the odd one across here, like Jeff Cameron. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, you know, we got Jeff across, I think, $2.5 million. He played 165 Premier League games. That's unbelievable value. And then uh, plays like Tim Ream, we brought over to Bolton, now playing for Fulham. So, you know, we've, um, we've it's been good to us. But it was, it's, uh, it's not a market that, uh, it's not as straightforward as other markets in world football with the cap and designated players and target allocation of money. There's a lot to learn. And we, you know, we did a lot of due diligence to be where in the place we are right now. We helped Jack Harrison move to Manchester City and to Leeds, um, tried to bring him to Stoke because he's <laughs> born in Stoke. I think he'd have been a great player for us if we'd gotten here the January of our relegation season. That could have been the difference between staying up or going down, but unfortunately Manchester City uh, gazumped us. Yeah, it's a bit difficult to uh, to kind of compete with them, isn't it? A little bit. It is a little bit, yes. <laughs> I think, um, you know, and we were very, very lucky. I don't know if this will be a contentious thing to say. I think we've got fantastic owners and um, local owners and the amount of money they put into the football club. It's phenomenal. But, you know, even Stoke City's owners can't compete against countries. No, no, absolutely not. And you know, this will kind of come on to the coach family. But you, I think you're, I think you're right. You say it's contentious. I think it's just obviously we spent a lot of money in the past. We clearly can't spend a lot of money now, can we? There's, there's yeah. restrictions. Maybe that will change in the future. I know the FFP window cycle is is over. I think this season, so that may open up potentially a few yeah. doors. But no, no, no. In our look, that'll happen, and then they'll revamp FFP, and we'll be back to square one again. <laughs> you can see that coming. But um... I think uh, John Coates is worked incredibly hard, and you know, to keep Stoke on the right side of that. And they've done, you know, buying the stadium, doing other things. That um, and we're very fortunate. It's not that the owners don't want to spend; it's just not, they're not allowed to. And I think we've all been in a much, much better, stronger position this summer. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Absolutely, and obviously, I know you're a big Stoke fan, Gary. So, does it does it make your life harder when you're representing a player? Because obviously, your your heart's going to say, "Luke, if he's available, I want to bring him to Stoke. I want to get in touch with with John and let him know he's available, or whoever." And 
is it quite difficult? Because obviously you've got to balance then bringing, you know, as a Stoke fan, a player to Stoke that you think is going to benefit the club. But obviously from a business perspective, you need to do what's best for the player as well. So is it quite difficult playing that? Or do you just need to have solely your your business head on, really? No, I think... Um... I, I think that I've I've recommended very very few players to Stoke City. I mean, I think um, Jack Butland was an easy one because of the number of, you know, we we were up against Chelsea, Southampton. But it, I could convince Jack that the, you know, the club was in a good place, and as Asmir was ambitious and probably wanted to move to a club like he eventually did, Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea had a bid accepted from Birmingham City, but Jack chose Stoke City because we thought it was the quickest route to get him to play in Premier League football. Because I've done goalkeepers to Chelsea before who'd never made a first team appearance. And then, you know, but then at the same time, I have to be quite tough with Tony Skulls and have clauses in series that I could keep on taking him out on loan so they could grow. So, you know, obviously we went to Barnes, we went to Derby County, we went to a lot of different clubs that um, meant that Jack was in a place where you know, he could play for Stoke and was ready to play for Stoke. But then, obviously, you know, he had that unfortunate injury playing for England and and then it, it took some time to get right. And some will say he's never been the same goalkeeper. But, you know, I think, you know, we were very fortunate to have the best young goalkeeper in the country at the time for a number of years. And I'm very proud of that. And then I did recommend Jack Cameron to Tony Pulis because I thought, having seen him in a tournament, for Houston Dynamo, we'd got Tony Pulis stamped down his spine. Oh, yeah. Strong, athletic, could run all day. And, you know, we had clubs like Southampton and clubs like that one when Mauricio Pochettino were there one, trying to buy Jeff. So I think he was um, I think he was another player that some some fans loved and some fans weren't quite sure about him. But he, I didn't bring him across to be a right back, though, I'll say that. I think he was more of a midfield <laughs> player. He was very versatile, like you said. It's Tony Pulis all over, isn't he? And yeah, yeah um, but he, he was sort of he did. He, he was a good servant, like you said, for what two million, two and a half million um, yeah. dollars. Yeah. Dollars, yeah. So you you can't really complain. Um, and I mean, I'll let Dan take over in a second. But um, obviously, you've been in Asian world for, as you said, twenty odd years now. So yeah. this is probably a really difficult one for you to answer. But how many deals would you say you've done over all them years? Is it? Could you even? Guess it how many you've done. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't. I was trying to think of our, our first deals um, yesterday, actually. I don't know why. It was, and I remember, like, and then occasionally I'll sit in the Warrington suite um, where I'm lucky enough to be a guest of uh, Rob Hope and Savage on occasions and, <laughs> and eat free food on uh, Rob's. And you have players coming in, and you know, you see, um, you see people like um, Dean Crow coming. I did Dean Crow to Luton Town oh, wow. years ago when he, when he couldn't break into the Stoke team and, you know, it reinvigorated his career for a period of time, you know, and it was, you know, I think, and, and taking Lewis Neal to, uh, you know, to DC United and was going to win in goal, the West Cup and cut foul, things like that mean a lot more than money. That, that, you know, it's, I, I really enjoy that part of the game. It's got tougher. When I first did it, the, the, I don't know, I hazard a guess, probably 20 to 30 agents in the country. There's now over 5,000 it's ridiculous, and um, and unfortunately, a lot of those don't have the right connections or can't get people to pick up the phone. And I suppose that's why Will Goodwin's father reached out to us because we felt we we had connections could deliver something for him quickly. So he came to us in December, and in January he's jumped two divisions to League One. I was going to say this was actually going to be a question later, but it's relevant. So you mentioned so many agents kind of coming out of the woodworks. Um, 
I'm around thinking you don't have to have any particular like coaching degree. You have to you don't have anything behind you. You just basically need connections and you can pretty much be an agent. Is is it quite it's not very regulated, is it, Gary, if I remember well, rightly? It, or? it was very strictly regulated that they did yeah. away with the regulations for some reason. Now they're bringing them back in again later this year. Oh great, okay. So um you know, and I think there's a lot of people that um, have just, you know, paid their money and become agents. And, and, I, and I, you know, I don't think you can ever practice on someone's career. I remember having two two golfers who were professional golfers want me to represent them. And I just felt that, you know, I didn't understand the game. Cricket, football, boxing, those are my strengths and have been my strengths. So I think you stick to what you know because um, you never want to be practicing on someone's career. And a lot of them do, unfortunately. Well, that's just it. It's all about money for some people, isn't it? Rather than what's best for their for the client and looking after them. So, I yeah, you know, the reason I got into this in the first place was a, a player that thought his agent was taking more money for himself than uh, than he was to deal. We work on a very simple basis with players like Jay Rodriguez, Michael Duff, Wade Elliott, Marty Patterson. We've had these all through the career. We, you know, they know that we charge a percentage of what we get for them. And uh, therefore, the better they do, the better we do. We never go in and say in the first instance, you'll get this player if you look after us. I think, unfortunately, some of the bigger deals that have been done, clearly, you, you have to question who the talent is. Is it the agent or is it the player? You've got my uh, dream job, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> well, was... sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good. This is not a good window at the moment, I can say. It's it's funny. I, just before we get into it, I'll just say um, I moved house last year, and obviously you know, and you sort of go through all the the rubbish that you've collected over the years, yes. and um, I found some stuff that I printed off many many years ago when I was sixteen, and it was on the F and the FA website how to become a football agent because that's what I wanted to be <laughs> when I was going off. I want to do that, and then it very. I just thought I'm never. I haven't got. But since like I said, I don't know the routine or how I would do it, so I ended up going down more traditional paths and stuff but uh, but yeah that was it, at one point that was something I was looking to get into <laughs> well there's no there were no local football agents when I started but I mean I think you know there are a few now which which you know there's, there's a few in every town and city I think but uh, as I say I think there's you know you have to do some hard yards before you start making any money and that's probably why you know I think a lot of will disappear by the wayside over the next couple of, couple of years which some people probably think is a good thing yeah, I think um, so. Like it, it sometimes, the more is worse than it. Like say, if you have a few agents, but good agents, rather than like say flooding the market with anybody who don't really know what they're doing, kind of thing, or aren't really in it for the right circumstances. Yeah, unfortunately, I think I've seen local players at Stoke probably more so where they've signed for people who, you know, you know full well they're not really going to be able to deliver for them because people won't pick up the phone to because they don't know them. That's a problem. So they won't get the the moves like Will Goodwin's got today, and that's that's. That, I'm not saying that's fair. It's just you know managers get so many calls from so many agents, offering so many players. That you've got to. I remember doing, you know, when Mark Robbins at Barnsley and Simon Grace at Blackpool, we probably put five or six players from Stoke in each of those clubs because, you know, everyone we gave them like an Andy Wilkinson or a Ryan Shotton or a Carl Dickinson or a Martin Patterson, whoever that you know. Sorry, you know they. They delivered, so they they come back to you, and I think that's um, you need to be in a position where people will take your calls. Now, some of them will take your calls because I've had Jack Butler when he was playing for England, and Jay Rodriguez when he was playing for England, and Jack Cameron when he was playing for the United States, and you know, 
and we brought Jack Harrison over a few years ago. They 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 will they'll pick up your call because they know you might have something um, that people want. And there's nothing better than having a player like Adi Akin by his prime, where scoring goals and you know and um, where there's five or six clubs wanting them every January or Dili Adabola. And, and and that's that's uh, you know that's the time when, but they they're going to talk to you about one of the players that they want, and um, and you could, at the same time you can see what else they're looking for and maybe get a loan move for somebody, you know like at the moment, Daniel Iverson's quite a top property and John Hassler worked for me, together with Gully Thomason in in Norway you know and and you know sorry Denmark, brought him over to Leicester some years ago and you know in his loan moves he's done phenomenally well. Obviously, played for Alex Neal for a couple of seasons. And uh, if someone's looking for a goalkeeper right now, they're going to look at Daniel because he's not playing. He's number two at Leicester. And we want him to keep playing, obviously. Yeah, I suppose with with Everson there, as he's the number two at Leicester, would he, would like an agent be involved in maybe facilitating a new number two coming in so that he could get out and go somewhere else? Sometimes. Sometimes that happens, you know. I mean, I... I was trying to do a deal I to for the the goalkeeper Zach Stefan for a club in England the summer for five million before he moved to Manchester City for ten million in the winter. But the problem we had was that their their winter window as equivalent to our January in America is, is in July. They only have a month, but they couldn't get a keeper into Columbus, so they wouldn't release them. Now that was fortunate for Columbus because they managed to double their money. It wasn't good for us who were trying to do a deal at that time. <laughs> But um, one thing, I mean, um, I just noticed from, from so far, so your answers, um, I know you said, like, I'd sort of had Yakimbae, um, you said Duff, um, there's been a few others that are just escaping me now, but there seems to be a lot of Burnley connections. So, obviously, we know about your Stoke connections. Is, was Burnley another club you've been quite close with? Yeah, I started off, I suppose, the first club I was I was close to, well, I suppose not close to, I was close to a lot of their players. It was Tranmere many years ago with Gary Jones, Nottingham Forest, and... 2000, Alan Rogers, Leicester, Nottingham Forest, John McGreal, Ipswich, Burnley, um, Danny Coyne, played for Leicester in the Premier League, played for Burnley. So, but Burnley was a, cl- a club I got really close to and they got promoted. It's the first time the Premier League, they had an operating director called Brendan Flood who approached me um, and I, I, you know, when they got promoted, to the Premier League, we I put eleven. I had eleven players, the eighteen-man squad that got that beat Sheffield United. Went up the first time to Premier League, which gave them the financial clout to be able to be consistent. And and when putting those sorts of players in, players that people looked up to, like a John McGreal and a Wade Elliott and Michael Duff, means that young players like Jay Rodriguez and Chris McCann ask you to represent them and Carl Lafferty. So Burnley was good to me, um, and still is good to me. But Stoke's where my heart is, you know, and, and most clubs know that, unfortunately, so sometimes they use that against me. But I did have a... And I think first time Peter Coates approached me to help the football club in a, in a, in a proper way was uh, knowing the work I'd done at Burnley. But as I say, I'm not really in control of incomings. I had some time to help them with information in terms of what other clubs have got budget-wise, etc. I'll do that because it's my club and sometimes help them get players out especially during the last few years when, you know, we needed to move players on through the, um, when they've been promoted, relegated to the Premier League. But that's, you know, I've done that for a lot of clubs over the years, Birmingham City, Burnley, Bolton, you know, clubs that got relegated, we've helped them move players out 
obviously you look after a number of high profile players and obviously some a lot quite close to home, like you mentioned there, the Stokelinks. And uh, people, you know, would recognise the names like Connor Taylor, Tom Edwards. Um I believe Jack Bonham was a uh, what's yours? Is he still with yes. you? Jack? No, he's he's uh, we bought uh, we were involved with Bursey and Bonham and a few players and Rain Sawyers, but we were we had a partnership with a group out of London for six years and we went our separate ways. So I don't look after Jack Bonham now. No. So what I'm interested in is like the team look after. Yes. What does that actually entail? So what how what well, how far would an agent go for a player? Well, they, they have to sign a representation agreement with the agent and that carries a maximum of two years. So every two years you have to have the conversation to see if they want to stay with you. It's quite a ruthless market. Um, and there are lots of people with a lot more cash than we've got and, and much bigger operations. What we what we say is you're not a number, you you know, we treat everybody has their own business plan. We had players like Sean Longstaff at Newcastle, we had right through to his first team debut, his first loans to Blackpool and up to up to Scotland and you know, to to where he's had top four teams bidding for him. And then, you know, unfortunately bigger agencies come along with that look and and they get starry eyed. But he's still at Newcastle. Then obviously we lost Jack Butland after Stoke got relegated, which is personally disappointed about. But um, and then we had Phil Billing, who's at Bournemouth, another one, lost him. So yes, you know you're always at risk every two years. You used players like Wade Elliott, Michael Duff, you know Barty Patterson, and then you know Jay Rodriguez. I mean, you know you, you go every two years. He signs a contract because they, you've earned their trust. We'd like to think that we help build careers like Sean Longstaff's and Jack Butlins by making the right decisions. And um, we want to continue to do that for people like Connor Taylor. You know, um, I'd be lying if I said I wouldn't prefer Connor to be out on loan right now playing regular football, but Stoke have his contract. So therefore, he's, a, he's in the club and he's he got some in each yesterday. But you want them to continue to play and develop. And um, I think Connor, for the first probably the first six, seven games of this season, you know, I was I was pleased he'd stayed because he he did incredibly incredibly well until he picked up a bit of an injury, and um, I'm hoping to see him back in the side again before the end of the season. Yeah, because I mean, one thing we've noticed since Alex Neil took over at Stoke is there's a, a lack of sort of information regarding like injuries and people coming back. I know when Josh Tymon came back in the team, it was like a shock out of yeah. nowhere kind of thing. And I think a lot of people were quite sort of confused as to why Connor Taylor had sort of just dropped off the face of the earth, really, and considered the Stokes squad. But yeah, he did pick up an injury, didn't he, for quite a while, like you said? Yeah, he had a little bit of a problem that he couldn't train, but he was playing. And I think, you know, uh, I think that Alex Neal, the first game Alex watched was, was the Blackburn game away. And I think, you know, I saw him on his first night he was in. Got into the job, he'd watched the Blackburn game before he started work on the Monday. I think he was really impressed. You know, there have been lots of clubs interested in Connor, and, and Alex Neal's obviously wants to keep him. So he obviously sees something in him. Uh, probably just thinks he needs a bit more experience right now. I guess if, obviously, you know, Harry Suter leaves Gary, which could obviously could very well happen. I mean, yes. that opens that door up for, for Connor, doesn't it? And you never know. And then in 12, 18 months, Connor's the new Suter. <laughs> it happens a lot. Well, I think that, you know, I, I make no secret of the fact that, um, uh, you know, we sent Tom Edwards to um, to Joey Barton at Fleetwood because Clint Hill had done good work with um, with Harry Suter. 
And then, you know, we also sent Connor then to Bristol Rovers under Joey Barton and Clint was there, and, you know, you at the start. And, you know, I think that Connor went to Bristol Rovers as one player and came back another. You know, I watched the game at Port Vale where Port Vale were the form team and Bristol Rovers were coming from way behind. But I thought Connor was magnificent that day. You know, he you know, got a booking in the second minute, I remember speaking to after the game and saying, I thought you'd managed your game really well having got a booking so early on in such a big game. And he said, and I thought at the time, what a great learning experience. So he shows that he, he understands he has to keep learning, but you, you don't you don't learn by not playing. You, you know, I, I use the... the um, I use the phrase quite often, go and make your mistakes somewhere else, then come back and, and perform for Stoke. I mean, that's probably a bit unfair of the clubs that take them, but that has to happen sometimes. I recommended Harry Suter to Owen Coyle at Ross County, even though he wasn't my player, and he scored her own goal not far long after coming on for his debut. But I knew Owen Coyle was good for young players because seeing what he'd done with people like Jay Rodriguez and Chris McCann and Martin Patterson, you know, he's, he's very much a... You are certain managers you'd pick to be good with young players, remember, you know, we we've we've we had Harry Tuffalo at Norwich came through that youth cup winning team and then did really well and you know and but I felt that the Norwich City loans, the first couple, were to the wrong types of managers and I won't mention one of them because he's coming to town pretty soon. But uh, you know, it's uh, certain Harry Tuffalo as a left wing back isn't going to get better playing for a team that played long. So, but obviously. You know, some clubs are going to be looking at how much money they can get on the salary of that player rather than what's best for the player's development. I think Stoke have been pretty good with that, if I'm being honest. I think they've done the right thing in the main by players. They realise they need to go and get some some games. Uh, and as I said before, I think that Kev Russell, Dave Hibbert, etc. deserve a lot of praise for that. I suppose you could say that Will Goodwin's transfer today is just another example of Stoke saying, yeah, a good young player... He's done well at Torquay, but yeah, for the best thing for him is to go and get a permanent move to somewhere where he can settle down and kick his career on. Yeah, they'll have a sell on, obviously, you know, and you know, hope that he does well. And you know, Nathan Collins was a perfect example. He goes to Burnley, does what everyone expected him to do, gets sold to all some more money and stake stoke reap the benefits. And uh, you know, I think that um, you know, I think we are reaping the benefits of some really good recruitment. During a period where there was a lot of criticism of recruitment with the suitors, the Tynans, you know, the Nathan Collins, these the Harry suitors, they were all bought at a, at a time when probably the recruitment department were getting the most stick, but they had a long term plan and got the right people in place in the academy to develop them. And they believed in that. And, and I think that's always been, I think Peter and John Coates have always wanted the academy to produce players. We'd all love to go back to the days I grew up in in the 70s when the team was full of local lads like Danny Smith and Nicky Pedgick and, you know, Alan Blue. But unfortunately, you do have to cast your net a little bit further afield. I don't think you have to go to Australia to get Harry Suter, but, you know, you know it's, it's, it's one of those where the reality is you've got to, you've got to, you've got to go out and look and then you find the, lo- the best young local players who they can, they can play with and hopefully, you know, develop more talent that, that produces on the pitch for Stoke. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in like the 90s, um, so I was born in 87, so sort of like the 90s and the early 2000s. I didn't really hear of any sort of like local players playing around, but now you hear like you know, sort of like Ben Brereton and yes. um, Jack Harrison, like you say, people born around Stoke and that who've gone on to, uh, you know, making quite successful careers away from Stoke as well. 
yes, and I thought, we'll never, we'll never, we'll never keep them all, you know, because um, you know the, the the resources that these Premier League teams have got as well are, are vast. Stoke have gone and taken players, you know, like we took you know, Joe Bursic from Wimbledon, who's the England 21 goalkeeper. We take players, but I uh, think, you know, and Tyrese Campbell picked up from Man City, you know, before his injury was, could have been anything really. And hopefully he'll, he'll return to that form and still shows that he's capable of anything on, on his, when he's on form. I know he's probably getting a bit of a stick off the fans at the moment. And, you know, he's not, it's not my player, but like, you know, there's days when, it looks like he could be a world beater, and you know that period he had before he got injured. We seem to have had some really bad luck with our best young players like Ty Reese when they were in fantastic form, Harry Souter, and even Josh Tynan. I mean, I think Josh Tynan was was incredible before he got his injury, and, you know, and hopefully he's going to come back to that that form again. Uh, no but, names, of course, I thought, and you're welcome yeah. not to answer it. Yes. What's the strangest request you've ever received from someone? Like and you've sat down, like either like, do a contract or something, or Neil. What's, what's the weirdest thing anyone's ever sort of asked you for? I suppose um, off the top of my head, I, I remember gifting all millions when I was moving to Burnley. Couldn't go because uh, his wife was working, and so I had to pick the kids up from school. So to make the deal happen, I drove to Stone <laughs> to pick his kids up from school. I don't know. I can't believe the school let me have them, to be honest. But uh, I mean, we all know Gibson's got a lot of kids, so they're probably pleased to give them to me. But uh, <laughs> did you need any anybody? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. But I, I remember having three days driving. I think I did Adiakin by somewhere. I did Delia Bowler, I think, from Carpentry to Bristol City, and the Gifton Old Williams to Burnley, all in a short space of time. And that's two, three of the biggest blokes you'd ever have in your car, you know, not distinctly <laughs> tiny of the days. Yeah, gifted. No, could, well, I could, that, I'm going to move here. I've got to go. Someone's going to get me kids. I said, look, I've done the contract. I'll get them. <laughs> God, that's, no, imagine that rolling around on Sky Sports News, can't you? If no one's deal fell through, just to no one pick his kids up. <laughs> I think we all know as well. Was the Sentinel covered it quite extensively when I went off to um, to uh, Ukraine when the Russians invaded Crimea to try and get Yamalenko to come over to Stoke. Um, and the plane was empty. That was probably my wife would say that's the daftest thing I've ever done. Probably not the strangest. Wow. I mean, that was, I mean, that, that deal seemed to sort of drag on for a, a while, didn't it? As well, like there's a few, did you have a few goes at trying to bring him over? Yeah, we did. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, I went, I went on a couple of occasions and he was a really, really good guy, Andre. I think when he came to West Ham, I think it was probably a little bit, you know, the, the move to Brucey Dortmund was the one that we'd have had. I think he would have been some player for us. Yeah, you can just imagine at that time as well, the players, the other players we had at the club as well, he made yeah. us took it on another level again. Well, that was the reason people wanted to come here. I mean, you know, I think when you've got players like Bojan and Arnautovic playing for your team, other players are attracted to that football club because there are players there that they know and play international football against. And, you know, it's uh, we need to get, hopefully one day, get back to that. I mean, that's, you know, I've been... I didn't think I'd ever see a team again like I saw when I was at school in, in the city of, you know, Jimmy Greenoff, Alan Hudson, etc. And then that team with Arnautovic, Bojan, you know, Johnny Walters. You know, I've just, I've talked to Johnny Walters a lot now about, um, you know, his new role and advised him a little bit around his move to take the job at Fleetwood. And, you know, he works just as hard off the pitch as he did on the pitch. And, you know, when you've got players like Arnie and Bojan and, Maybe, you know, sort of um, Shakiri 
you do need some others in that, that, that give you that mix, like the Glenn Whelans, the, the Johnny Walters, the Ryan Shawcrosses, the Robert Hooson. What a team. The Andy Wilkinsons, obviously. You know, I mean, and I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased I got to see um, two, what I think were fantastic teams. And I do believe things come in three, so I've got hope in my heart for the future of the football club. Obviously, you know, when, when for a lot of football supporters, if they hear the word football agent, they think like, you know, living the high life, multimillionaires, you know, can't you cash? It's obviously not like that for for all you know for everybody. I mean, you know, the, the thirty million plus fees that you know Harland or Pogba's representatives make. You know, no, I mean that's that's it's very far, like that, is it? No, there's 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 you know, there's over five thousand football agents, and there'll be maybe twenty that are doing the numbers that you that you do you took you know you have. The top players are controlled by very few, probably not even 20. But uh, I think, you know, I think I've said many times before, I get a lot more, I get just as much pleasure, you know, doing Jay Rodriguez to, to Southampton and having Manchester City, everyone chasing him when he's playing for England before he did his cruise ship was, you know, I got just as much pleasure out of, you know, our company doing a deal like Will Goodwin today was on the start of his journey. And, um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's, yes, of course, it's about, running a business and making money and being able to pay the wages but but it's you know, get a lot of enjoyment out of um you know i talked about the burnley game and being I, you know i was invited by the burnley directors to the royal box when they played shepherd united at wembley because of the value michael duff twenty five thousand pounds wade elliott was a free transfer john mcgreal was a free transfer the biggest fee they paid was for martin patterson from scunthorpe for 1.25 million scored 20 odd goals and I think that's, you know, we try and deliver value because if you deliver value, it's like everything else. You know, people will come back to you. Another thing, like, that, there's an argument for a lot of people that you know, your fans, obviously, on the outside of the, of the agency world, will say that players should be solely responsible for paying their agents and clubs shouldn't be the one paying anything. Is that naivety on their part? Or is there a reason that doesn't happen? Uh, I think it's... Um... I think it was well established. So, effectively, really, they do. So it's part of the pack. It's part of the package from the from the club. But the reality is, in my view, every club has a budget. Every club will try and stretch that budget. Uh, the reason agents are in the in business in the first place is because football clubs try and get the players for as cheap as they can, so they can get more more players or better players. My job is to make sure that when they finish playing, that they've earned as much money that their talent deserves. We're not the talent. We're not parasites. We just want to make sure there's some fairness. I remember, you know, growing up, I mean, I went to the same school as Lee Chapman's a few years older than me. Adrian Heath is a good friend of mine, a year older. Steve Bold is a year below. Um, went to Blurt and, and, you know, they all came through, local lads to Stoke City. And every time they went to do a contract with, with the board, they, they had to move to get paid properly, and and that's not how it should be. And um, you know, there's nothing makes me happier than you know Andy Wilkinson playing all those Premier League games when we came through because we nearly moved on at least three occasions. I remember we were very close going to Blackpool, and ironically, it was the game I think it's against Manchester United, Cristiano Ronaldo, when Wilco got sent off, but he marked him out of the game really. But yeah, <laughs> uh, and he was. 
got, he clapped the fans because they were all giving a standing ovation as he got sent off and Tony Pulis going to be the biggest rollicking saying, tell Wilco not to clap the fans when he's been sent off, he's got put us down to 10 men, but I think that day he turned Tony around and he pulled the Blackpool deal, and then you know, I remember Ben Foster it was, um, you know, I had Ben Foster as a young player, really good guy third third choice goalkeeper uh, got on loan, got him on loan to Kidderminster Harriers had a disaster, I think they lost 4-1, he was responsible for every single goal, got sent back that could have been the end of his career, but I drove to see, ironically, Danny Smith and Kevin Russell at Wrexham and convinced them to watch him. Uh, and Danny said, well, he's still living in Stoke at the time. He said, I'll, I'll, if, there is, if he plays on Monday afternoon at Newcastle Town at two o'clock in the reserve game, I'll come and watch him. Probably just to get rid of me. Got back, spoke to John Rudge. He said, no, Tony's as a rule. Whoever doesn't play out of Simmons and Ed Dehoy gets to play in the home games. I, so I had to go above Rudgie's head a little bit and ring Tony Pulis and say, look, I've got Danny Smith coming to watch Ben. I can get him out alone and alone again. I think he's a really good keeper. I don't think Kidderminster is the way we want to leave it on his CV because he might not have a career. They took him and the rest is history. He played in the Orts Glass final. Obviously, Alex Ferguson watched his son. He got a move to Man United and had a fantastic career. And that's the bit of the job people don't see. Most of the time, we're begging people to take players or trying to keep them and make sure they've got a career. And there's some local players I've seen that go out of the game because they didn't get the right loan moves. I don't think people worked hard enough for them and yet they could have had good careers. Yeah, I mean, at what point do you think that players need an agent then? Is there like a tipping point? Would you say there's like a certain age or a certain level that, that oh, well, you really, you should do an agent, you should need an agent now for your best interests? It's a difficult one because I've had lots of people parents who come to me for plays 14, 15, well you're not allowed to sign them until they're 16 and only with the parents go signing. I think the time they need an agent is when they get off with the first professional contract or um, you know they they start in the loan deal and I think that um, and the loan deals you'll never get them all right obviously I mean you know but um, we got Jack Butland from Birmingham to Cheltenham because I knew the, uh, the manager had been the assistant manager at Burnley when I had all the players at Burnley originally. And, um, you know, I remember going to watch him play on a Friday night at Burton Albion and realising we got something special on hands because every single Premier League was there. And I think Liverpool had four people there and Chelsea had people there. It was, it was just crazy. They all wanted to sit next to me. That's not, that doesn't normally happen. And, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's, one, you need to know that they've got your best interests at heart. And two, you, you want to make sure they've got a plan for you. I mean, speaking of value, actually, Gary, I mean, you mentioned um, very briefly, I think, at the beginning around COVID. So, I mean, obviously, COVID's been really damaging for a lot of clubs. Um, I think that's obvious. Um, I mean, money's, well, we've obviously money been a lot tighter and obviously FFP as it is at the minute. Are you seeing much impact in terms of, like deals you've been doing. So whereas before they may give a player, say, two or three years, are you finding that clubs are playing more hardball over trying to just do 12-month deals? And is that having much of an impact? Salaries are coming down. You know, right. we want to see the salaries at the top of the, the pyramid. Salaries are coming down. I think that even though some big numbers have been spent, they're being spent at the top of the game. I think that if you're not a Premier League team or, or you're outside the parachute payments, it's a struggle. And, you know, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I think we're incredibly lucky to have the owners we have. Who, who, who it's not for the, the the want of giving money, you know, to the football club. It's more the the, the 
the, the uh, handcuffs are in place. People have to think smarter. Uh, we're fortunate that uh, there was a plan in the Premier League years to, to invest in the academy. We did invest in the academy. We're reaping the benefits right now. The Nathan Collins transfer, you know, the value that on Harry Souter, Tyrese, et cetera, et cetera. They, you know, even Josh Tyner at the time was a, was a brave move because it was quite a lot of money, seven figures for a young player. But I think, you know, I think Josh will come again. Um, and I think that people will have to think smarter and work smarter. Uh, and that, that's not a bad thing, by the way. I just think that, um, you know, I think COVID has damaged every single... There aren't many people that have made money out of COVID unless they're friends of um, Tory MPs. I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you can say whatever you want to me. Um, what's your thoughts then on things like salary caps, Gary? Would you be against I, that? I think there are salary caps in the, in, in the, basically, you know, even the Premier League, it's really, you can only spend a proportion of your income Yeah. Um, in the Premier League. And some clubs in the Premier League right now, you know, have, have got some work to do to be able to spend money. Some of the clubs that, you know, got vows to vast amounts of money who are really breaking through have got to have got to be clever and i don't think it's a bad thing i think what i what i do disagree with is um if your owners can show they have a plan and will guarantee the future of the football club for a period of time i think they should be allowed to spend money because some of the biggest advocates of, of salary caps and keeping people within parameters of people that spent a lot of money to get where they are today and they also want then they seem to want to stop other people getting to the top table so i'm not sure how that's fair but mm. also we don't want to see another berry you know we don't want to see football clubs going out of business we don't want to see the situation derby county got themselves into and i know we all probably have a bit of fun because derby's only half an hour down the road but you know we don't want to see football clubs like derby county going out of business we're all football fans at heart and we, we you know we all enjoy the rivalry of um, of sports, but uh, we all love the beautiful game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, I think Dan had an idea, and I probably won't do it any justice here. But if, for example, you wanted to spend, say, twenty million pounds on a player, then you put that twenty million quid effectively into something like an escrow account, where you you've physically got to put the money up first, and then that's held in a in a particular fund. I think. Might not be too far off the mark there. I think Dan, from what you mentioned a while back, mate. But yeah, right? so Sorry, yeah, so like the fee, the fee and the 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 um, total cost of the contract, say over three, four, five years, whatever, is all put in front, up, all put down up front. Um, the FA keep hold of it, and then the FA you know, give the money across bit by bit, wage you know, month by month, and that way, if the owner does walk away. Then he's already paid for those contracts that are all up front anyway, over the amount that they're allowed to spend. Therefore, yeah, I think that all all transfer fees are guaranteed. So I think that's. But I think it's it's more about clubs that probably push go too far when they haven't got the. Um, you know, it's more about playing the staff with the wages and yeah, you know, the cleaners, the women in the canteen and stuff because they go and they keep buying players. I mean, I, you know, um, I've known. Uh, meet them meet the board nights in <laughs> in clubs where you know the fans are saying why have you got a chief executive who could be buying the new centre forward well you have to have someone who can run the football club and make sure it's sustainable and I think you know you know I don't think it's um I don't think it's 
beyond the realms of possibility if Peter Coates hadn't brought the football club back that if Stoke hadn't, could have gone into administration, you know. And I think that's, we don't want that. No, yeah. no, and, no, not like there was loads of people queuing up to buy the club, was there? Let's be honest. No, there wasn't. No, there wasn't. There wasn't. And, you know, it's, it's um, you know, there's a lot of uh, new money coming into English football at the moment from America. And, you know, and I, and I, I, don't, I don't say that's a bad thing because they will operate with a bit more of a business acumen. I think in the past, local owners have probably, you know, take their business brains out um, when managing a local football club. And I don't think your local businessman who makes good buying his local football club, they're just not out there anymore. We're just extremely lucky to have billionaires running out. I mean, you know, the Shadrans are a good example as well. Up the road at Port Vale, I mean, local owners who, who you know, live locally, you believe in local community. Lucky to have those people running our local football clubs because outside the Premier League, there's not many of those about. No, no, definitely not. And I mean, obviously, we're in the obviously the transfer window now. Of course, when we're recording this on the the ninth of Jan, so. I mean, a lot of fans think, of course, that an agent's busy time is obviously during the transfer window, and no doubt, of course, it is. But, I mean, do you get a chance to kind of relax a bit, Gary, or is, or you know, throughout the year, is it is your kind of day-to-day about building deals ready for when windows open again, or is there a bit of downtime where you can, you can literally just relax for a bit? I think it's a, I think it is a, a you know, it's a twenty-four-seven job throughout the year. Even you know, I mean, my wife goes mad. You know, uh, you know, my family I'm always on the phone. Um, it's not, it's not ideal, uh, but I enjoy it. You know, I've, I've highs. You obviously have lows. You know, at one stage, you know, when Jack Butland was the youngest goalkeeper to play for England, and you know, and Jay Roderick was the top goal scorer of the Premier League, and flying in the England squad. You know, you, you think you, everything's right with the world, and both get injured in a short period of time, and so you're always <clears throat> looking for the next talent trying to find the next talent. You know, there's every Saturday you've got players who are playing, you've got players who've been dropped, players on the bench. And so, you know, there's always a yin and a yang. But uh, I don't think, I'm a great believer that the harder you work, the luckier you get. And obviously, you, you've probably seen this yourself, Gary, in the past. Do you remember the whole, like, of the deadline day circus we used to have and videos of fans outside grounds obviously they they've changed that so that doesn't happen but what's the view from an agent and players perspective here do, do you do you like deadline day i mean does that work sometimes in your favor or is it a bit risky to kind of hold out for like a a deadline day move i mean do you have much control even no i think um i honestly believe that uh, deadlines some of the worst signings that take place happen on deadline day i think well, I, mean, I think a lot of clubs panic. I think, um, you know, I, I, I'd go back to the old system where you've got to tell them something like third Thursday in March to do a deal or something because sometimes, you know, a deal might um, might save a football club for going into meltdown. Uh, they might need to sell a player. You know, I've, I probably prefer, would have preferred that we didn't uh, Sal Paul Pesca Salido just before we got in the playoffs <laughs> against Leicester City that season, but you know, in March. But I think, you know, I think some football clubs like it because you'll see these these summers where players are trying to get out and the, the, the managers can't wait for the window to end. But I'm I'd like to see the transfer window eliminated for EFL teams. Because I think you, that would, would help sometimes. Do you think that's ever likely to happen? No, I think it's, it's become, 
it's, we're, we're, we're set. FIFA quite enjoy that uh, control, I think. And um, I think it actually yeah, adds to, um, I think clubs spend more money because they have to do something in a limited period of time. And they think, if we don't get this done by the end of August, we can't do anything until January. If we don't get this done by the end of January, you know, we could, we could be in trouble. Um, all those clubs in the, in the bottom half of the divisions looking at the relegation trapdoor will be thinking, we need to do something here. And that can lead to bad decision-making. And clubs can bone collect at those, at those times. Do, do you think the transfer window itself sort of benefits sort of the, the bigger elite clubs more than sort of the smaller clubs? Uh, I think I'd probably, I think, I, I, I think, I think I could go either way on that one, Dan. I think it's, um, you know, I, I, I'm not so sure because um, if there wasn't a transfer window and a player got injured in September, you know, then somebody could come and buy your best player because they've got the financial wherewithal to do it and that player, you know, can move. And, there's the, you know, at the moment, if... If Barcelona, the star striker, gets injured in February, they can't come knocking for, you know, the best striker at Liverpool until, until June. Uh, and yeah. I think, uh, you know, and I think if, you know, for instance, Blackbird have done well to hold on to Ben Riot and Diaz, um, but they probably can't wait for the, the window to close if they're going to want to make a run at promotion. Whereas if the window didn't close, Blackburn then the play, the player would probably, you know, if the right club came along. With even a couple of months to go in the season, he'd probably want to leave. Maybe a team in red and white, do you think? <laughs> well, it'd be nice if he came back home, wouldn't it? Not quite sure we can afford him, but yeah. yeah unfinished business. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just kind of moving on to a few Stoke related ones as, as well, just to kind of finish off. We're almost going, we're going slightly over an hour, but we won't be too much over. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously, we've had a number of managers. Over times, Gary, no, no doubt. I mean, you know, when I think about you know, good John, uh, Tony Hughes, O'Neill, obviously now Alex. I mean, I, I suspect you probably had dealings with all of them. Is that right? Uh, I probably, I probably was too close to Tony Pulis for the period of time, and we got on really well. I mean, he, he asked me to look after his son, which I have done, and helped his son out. And, and when Tony left, I probably. My loyalty to the football club rather than the manager. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say I, I didn't really have a relationship with Gary Rowett or, or, or Paul Lambert. So I mean, no, I know them, obviously. We've had deals with them before. But um, I, I know Alex Neal from, from my time. You know, I, I had some conversation with Nathan Jones. But uh, as I say, I don't, I don't really get too close to the managers. I, I, I got really close to Tony uh, over a number of years because... I suppose we were on a journey in the championship and helping him get players like a Robert Tooth and Ricardo Paul at the time because he'd always know we could ask him for help and I'd go and help him and I'd do that for nothing over those years. I think in the end, Peter said, we need to look after him and, and you know, they started to help me, uh, you know, to, to pay me if I helped them out, which was which was good. But, um, you know, it's uh, I, I think it's, um, I think my loyalty is to the football club because when they're not here, I'll still be here sitting on my seat during the month. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And um, 
I mean, there was a player that obviously we were, we were linked to in the previous window. Um, I st- again, I believe you look after this chap, or you, you did. Uh, Remain Sawyer's. Do you still yeah. have to remain? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, again, you feel free not to answer this one. Um, but <laughs> obviously, he had quite a decent time for me at Stoke. He was really unlucky with injury. Um, and I mean, obviously, he's moved on to Cardiff. And um, I mean, I'm asking because I think a lot of people would like to know. But was there ever a chance that? That remain could have come back to Stoke with, under Michael. Um, I think I think I'd rather answer that question by saying we 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 really would have liked to have brought him to Stoke when he went to Brentford from Walsall. Right. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think that you know, uh, but I, I, t- I said earlier, I I will never put a player to Stoke unless I'm I know that a lot of good clubs want that player and. It, I think it's you know it's uh, it's too important for me that um, and you can never get everything right, but I think you you know remain. I felt that that stage was was a player that could make a, a massive difference to Stoke. Um, Definitely didn't quite come off. Brentford took him, and um, and he obviously he was he was successful, um, and you know I think you know I think he did a, did a good job for West Brom, um, and I think he was. Probably, you know, came in at the, at the latter end of his career, but I think he's the sort of player that Stoke are crying out for sometimes that can keep the ball and doesn't give it away and can pass between the lines. Uh, yeah, and I think he was totally the best when he went to Brentford from uh, Walsall and then, you know, went back to West Brom. And I think, he, you know, I think that's, um, I think that's, uh, you know, he, did, he was unlucky with some injuries at Stoke. I think you're right. I think he would have suited us quite well right now, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's there was one deal I heard about, which I think was some time ago. Did you almost bring Alexi Sanchez to Stoke at one point, Gary? Did I imagine that? <laughs> well, no, no, no. We, uh, we, I, I spoke to him today for Tony Pulis, um, you know, before he went to Barcelona. But yes, I, yeah, somebody, don't know who, gave that to Talk Sports and it went viral. Right uh, on, on talk store Twitter, which was, um, but yeah, we did, we did make Tony Pulis, you know, liked him. Why wouldn't you? I got, I was, I was working with Atalanta at the time in Italy. I knew the owner as well. Had seen him, spoke to Tony about him. He watched him, um, you know. And there's, 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 and, and we did try, but uh, you know, he 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 stayed at Udinese and then moved to a much smaller club, Barcelona. <laughs> I was going to say, please don't tell me that Tony Pulis said no to him because he didn't think he was good enough. <laughs> no, no, no. Tony wanted him. No, no challenge about. We, you know, I mean, we, Tony was always brave, and Tony knew what he liked, and he wanted Robert Tuchel. He was at Chelsea, and eventually he ended up getting him from Middlesbrough. He, he, you know, he knew Johnny Walters. He, you know, he, he he was he was very. Tony would watch a lot of football games. Old school manager, but I mean, in fairness, I don't know Alex Neil really well, but I do know he's had three promotions, and I do know I've seen a lot of football games, and I and I, I like that. I like people who go to a lot of games and watch watch games because when it comes to making decisions, not only have they got the scouts out watching, they watch them themselves, and they know they know you know whether or not they'll be their type of player. Yeah, yeah. I remember hearing say um, when we played, uh, but I think it was Burnley. Last week, yeah, it was after we after the Burnley game. He said that he watched their last. He'd been to the last six games or watched their last six games. He think he's obviously he's very sort of in depth in his preparations for for games as well as sort of transfers into. Seems to be all over it. 
yeah, I think um, you know, as I say, I'm not not close by any stretch of imagination to Alex Neal, but you know, he's he's got a good record of promotion, and you know, his teams are are normally very fit and work hard to get the ball back, and that probably plays to the intensity that the previous manager didn't, and, the, and you can see sometimes that that's difficult to probably play the way he wants to play. I would imagine at this moment in time until he gets a full pre-season or, or, or you know certain types of players through the door would be with, my guess. With, with the Alexis Sanchez one as well, obviously if he, he didn't end up coming to Stoke, can yeah. you remember who who in Pewis did get in the end? I can't, I can't. I mean, it was... Um, I was just wondering who, was yeah. it maybe a Tunchai or... I, I can't remember. I remember it was before, obviously, he went to uh, Barcelona, but I remember through my connections with Atalanta, I was able to speak to who was an Asian at the time and they, they, it wasn't well received. Um, you know, there's been a few of them. I mean, you, ha- you have to be brave sometimes because if you don't, I mean, you know, um, when, when Mark Cartwright and Mark Hughes bought in, on average, what was it, two and a half, three million? You know, I was like looking at his, his reputation thinking, what are we doing? Well, you know, but what did we sell? He bought 20 odd millions. That wasn't a bad one. Yeah, was there any um, other big names that didn't end up kind of getting over the line you might want to disclose, Gary, or you were, you were allowed to? I mean, I know that Jay Rodriguez was doing the the rounds in the Sentinel, I think, back in the day. that it, I think maybe the season before we got relegated or maybe a little bit before. I mean, yeah, was, I that, think, was that yeah, just paper Jay's talk? Always, yeah, I think Jay's always been... You know, I get absolutely battered on Twitter over Jay Rodriguez over the really? years. Really? <laughs> Harry Toffolo at times before and then... You know, and now Daniel Everson, but you know, um, I would love to see Jay run out of the red and white at Stoke rather than Southampton. You know, but it was, it's um, sometimes you know. I mean, at the end of the day, when when Jay probably went to Southampton to Stoke, with Stoke, Stoke had some pretty good forwards playing from a really good team. So um, I think it's uh, you know, I, I I'd never would never push a player on onto. My local football club, you know, if they'd have wanted him, I'd have done my best to make it happen. Um, but it doesn't quite quite happened. I mean, I'd love that season that West Brom, the season West Brom came down and we came down. That forward partnership, Eric Rodriguez and Gale at um, West Brom, with the forty odd goals to score between them, with our, with some of the players we had, I think we'd have been closer to the other end of the table than where we ended up. You mentioned obviously Daniel Everson there as well. I mean, we drift uh, if uh, the rumours are have it, we are after a goalkeeper. Could he possibly? Well, who knows? I mean, you know, I think that uh, Leicester City have um, think very highly of Daniel, but um, you know, he's not been given a chance, even though they probably Leicester started the season not not so well. But um, but he played the weekend, he's played the cup games. When he's played, he's done well. But, you know, players always want to be playing football, don't they? You know, um, I think there, there, there aren't many who just like picking up the pay packets. I know some, some fans would think otherwise, but uh, players want to play, they want to develop. And, you know, I, lo- I love the fact that Jay Rodriguez talks to me about how much he's enjoying working with Vincent Company. He's still learning. He's 33. I mean, he scored 10 goals, top, their top goal scorer, you know, that's what that's what the game should be all about because that's how us three would be if we were playing the game. What we want to enjoy it, we want to carry on learning. It wouldn't be about, you know, the money you'd like to think. It's about enjoying the game. And I think um, playing the game as many times as you can so you've got memories when you have to retire. 
I was going to say just to kind of start to like sort of have you noticed a difference in players over the years then Gary that like the switch from maybe I don't know just loving the game to football because you hear that banded around a lot in the media oh the all they care about is money but do you see that or do you think that's just media nonsense really I think there's probably you know we let's be honest the Premier League right now you know Nottingham Forest spent more money than the whole of Serie A I think in the last summer and if you're a, if you're a player in Europe or in the anywhere in the world right now, you want to come to the Premier League to earn the most money. So you can't expect them to have the love for the football clubs that certain players have. Uh, you know, they're, they're, at the end of the day, they're they're in they're in, they come from some pretty rough places. Um, you know, some of the, I've been spent a lot of time in Argentina and Brazil and know where some of these players come from and. You know, it, 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 and some of the African players. I mean, I've represented. I did Abdullahi Fai to West Ham, did Salif Jao. I've, I've done, you know, um, numerous plays for Africa. And when you go and visit Senegal and you see where they come from, some of these players, you can understand why they would be wanting to earn as much money as possible for them and their families because they really do come from poverty. So I get that. So some players will be mercenaries, especially at the higher level. But I think that. Um, a lot of players certainly, you know, still enjoy the game and play because they love it. And I've been very fortunate to have players like Jay Rodriguez and Andy Wilkinson who, who absolutely love the game and enjoy playing as much football as they possibly can. Yeah, just down to earth people. Yes, yes. I've always said, you know, I've, I've, had, I've enjoyed jobs in my time. But I certainly wouldn't have needed me to double or travel my wages for me to consider moving. <laughs> if someone no, offered me a bit more money, you go, don't you? That's... That's well, a lot of the time. Think. That's how it goes. It, as long as there's other factors involved, but yeah. I, I think sometimes when people get, get on the high horse a bit about footballers moving for money, I think yeah. it's sort of double standards sometimes. Yeah, I, you know, I think that uh, I've, I know a, a football manager that uh, said to me a couple of times, "How much money do they want?" I think you do get to that feeling sometimes, but but um, I think that. Uh, I do, I do think that you know we have a duty as, as the job that I do to make sure that when players retire, 33, 34, whatever age it is, that they um, they have choices because if the money's there to be earned, then it's right that they should be paid the the going rate, and um, and football clubs will try and get as much uh, a player for as cheap as possible because that's their job too. So I get that. You know, I, I, I run two businesses locally. You know, we've got 75 employees. We try and be fair, but occasionally we lose people to London and Birmingham firms because they've got bigger pockets and they make more profit. Um, and that's what it is. That's the same. The Premier League clubs make more money because of the TV deals. So if they come and knock on the door tomorrow for some of our best players, then you, you can't fault them for going and making the money. There's the famous sort of Peter Ridsdale, Seth Johnson story, isn't there, where he walked in and yeah. was amazed at what offer he sort of got. Was it 40,000 a week? And he was, would have accepted like a third of that. Yeah. Have you ever had, have you ever walked into a deal? Obviously, you'd have to name names. You ever walked in and then someone sort of thrown more and you've sort of gone, snapped their hand off straight away, kind of thing? Or... There's been occasions, but I don't, I think that um, the game's a lot more sophisticated than that now. Um, but I do think sometimes, you know, um, football clubs are, I mean, Peter Ridsdale's quite a, a, a 
a professional operator you know, dealt with him at, at, at Preston and at Cardiff and you know I don't know how true that story is it may well be but the time leads were were, uh, were flying playing the Champions League etc and you know people get excited don't they? they want the good times to to continue and to become the next Real Madrid or, or whoever I mean you know and I think that um, you know I think I can't fault the expenditure of of our football club when we got relegated try and get back but it didn't work out because obviously for whatever reason I mean you know Gary Rowett picked the players and and they, and they didn't work out that's and that, you know and but no, nobody can get everybody right um but you can't say that you know our first few managers when we got relegated didn't get the full backing of the of the owners because they did yeah I think when the when the availability to back has been there it's been given yeah. answers. It's, it's, it's the, the rules that have stopped it happening lately. It has, yeah. yeah. Which, I know the, reason, the rules are there for a reason, um, but I don't think our football club is going to run into difficulty as long as we've got the owners we have. Uh, Mike, is there anything else you want to you say? No, to be honest, honestly, we've kept you long enough with the Gary, but I just wanted to okay. say, you know, Luke, firstly, thank you really for sparing some time. You've been really gracious with some of the questions which again we didn't really want to put you in any difficult situations but you know you've been really open and honest and I think more than anything from this is you know we wanted people just to understand that you know it's it's not the that's a the agent that the media love to bang on about and sometimes slate and uh you know we wanted to give people a bit of an open over uh, I don't know a, an open um mind and just to understand you know what the real world is actually like um so I think you've given a really good overview with that. There's some really, I mean, that story about taking the kids to school and like pick up kids up. I think that that's that's great for me. It's stuff like that you'd never hear about with Gifton. So, um, just really yeah. for me, Gary, you know, just again, thank you for for being no open problem. and honest about it. I always like to help local people do well, and I think you know, good luck with your podcast, lads. And if you need me again later in the year, let me know. I mean, I think that you know, there aren't many that earn the forty million that Mini Rioli made out of Pogba that. But those are the ones that are going to track the headlines, aren't they? You know, that's uh, that's just because they would do. I mean, it's a shocking story. And uh, as I say, we're not the talent. <laughs> no, and absolutely. If you ever find yourself with two spare seats into a private box somewhere, Gary, you know, just <laughs> give, give us a shout. We'll, we'll help you out with that, mate. Don't you worry. Well, I'd like to have seats on the table. I've already told you, you know, I mean, Season ticket holds for many years, but when I can get into the monitor suite, I'm not saying no. <laughs> Too right at them prices, blinking there. Um, yeah, but <laughs> I think it's a great place to leave it. So, Gary, yeah, thank you very much as always, mate. Okay. Um, always good to speak to you. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely catch up soon. Cheers, guys. Look after yourself. Take care of yourself. Cheers, mate. Bye. Cheers, thank you. Bye bye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.